Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Plant Profits. Uh, I'm your host of Plant Profits, Vern Davis. Plant Profits is brought to you by Produce Global. Real excited today. Uh, my next guest heads one of the nation's largest marijuana e-commerce and advertising platforms. And uh, we could say a lot more about uh, Mr. Chris Bills, who is the CEO of Weed Maps, uh, uh, with the parent company, WM Technologies, uh, obviously uh, six months, a little more than six months ago, uh, they have a SPAC and uh, they went public and uh, he's had two back to back quarter earnings reports in that SPAC. And we're going to get into all of that. But the first thing I want to do is say hello to Chris. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, everything's going 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 great. We're uh, you know pulling out of COVID, which is exciting, especially when you have a little kid. So uh, wait, wait, yeah. wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Pulling out of COVID. Now tell me well, about, I, yeah, because let, let, I say, here's why I ask the question, Chris, because I find myself saying when, it, when COVID, during the past COVID, right? Yeah. Like it's over. Yeah. So yeah. I, mean, I find myself saying that all the time because I guess my mental attitude is that it, it kind of is over. I don't know. And it's not. I, I'm sure it's not. But I don't well, know. It, you know, what's you know, what's weird is because I, I, I try my imagine I travel a lot for work and there's such yeah. a there's such a disparity between different cities and how they deal with it. So like last week I was in South by Southwest and you think Texas kind of, yeah. you know, wild and free. And they were trying to enforce sort of a mask mandate with all the South by Southwest stuff. Right. But then I was in Washington, D.C. in the back half of the week. And there it's sort of like no mass, no nothing, you know, and they're, they're very much like looking at it as completely in the rear view mirror. And so, yeah. um, yeah, it's, you know, and then LA they're in, despite the state lifting the mass mandate is trying to maintain a, you know, certain mass mandates. So it's, um, I, I think it's more jolting when you travel right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to Florida next week. And I know that, um, I always tease my friends and I got, I got at least a couple of them on this today with us and, and uh, that I don't know if COVID ever hit down in Florida, you know, it's um, it, it, that to your point, as you travel, the attitudes of communities, municipalities, geographies are, are, are it's, it's very interesting, but okay. I tell you, I listen to my friends and my colleagues and my partners and, and my guests like you and, I'm telling you, we're talking about it like in past tense. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right. In a lot of ways, it it is in the past tense. I think, um, you know, it's just yeah. I think I, like, but you know, then you fly. And, you know, <laughs> you, the minute you set foot in the airport, like you know, it's very much not in the past tense. Exactly. So, but it's, yeah, yeah it, it, like going to a, going to the restaurant uh, last week and being able to eat dinner and not have to remask when I went to the bathroom was, it's, it seems like such a small trivial thing, but it was, it was like, ah, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, seriously. It does feel good. Uh, it does feel, feel good. Now, now tell me what I want to dig in just a little bit. I want to, uh, everybody kind of understand who Chris Bill is and, 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 and really where are you from? Where you, where, where'd you grow up and where did uh, so it all from, begin? I'm from, I'm from Pennsylvania, from an area okay. that used to be used to be semi-rural, and then okay. has gotten sort of suburbanified. But um, uh, I'm from. I grew up about an hour outside of Philly. Okay. And, uh, and then uh, went to school in Philly. In, you went to Penn. Grad, 
Yeah, I went to Penn uh, and yeah. I, I lived in Philly for about because I worked at Penn in between undergrad and law school. So okay. I was at Penn all, all said for about nine years in Philly. Then I went up to New York, did the big law thing, uh, yeah. you know, and then moved into sort of like uh, private equity fund side of things. Actually, in between, I went I went in-house with, with uh, Deutsche Telekom, uh, Germany's leading telecom and infrastructure provider. Uh, but um, yeah, and then I went <laughs> sounds to, like a commercial. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, <laughs> once, once you get indoctrinated in Berlin, you, you never you never come back. But no. Um, yeah, no. And so I, I had an unusual path. I mean, I'm an operator and, you know, kind of a very product focused operator, but I came from a legal background. And I think that yeah. a lot of successful examples for that, but people, it kind of blows people's hair back a little who sort of think of people who have that legal background as just being paper pushers and whatever else. Yeah, but it's a little, it's a little, you know, uh, more sophisticated and just, you know, Chris is, came from the legal side. I mean, you, you, you got an engineering degree, right? Undergrad. Yeah. So yeah, well, you I mean, came through always... from a technical perspective and a legal, and then yeah. you went private equity. Yeah. You know, that's, and, and the area I specialized in was startup technology and, and pharma yeah. work. And, and part of the reason I went to the private equity side was I'd actually advise that fund on some deals and they okay. liked, they liked kind of the way I thought about things from like an operations deal structuring, restructuring view. Cause it was a fund that did a lot of, funky assets that needed kind of operational cleanup and that sort of thing. But yeah, look, I mean, I'm uh, funny note, my, my parents, my dad actually had like sort of the uh, one of the earliest um, mail order computer companies. And so I grew up around parents who always were starting businesses and doing things. And I to actually okay. pay for law school. I, I built web pages for companies. Oh, to crap. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I always, yeah. The things I don't think back on too much, but yeah, no, like sweating it out with like some design guys I'd found from Temple and yeah. the, the university, not, um, not to really. No, I understand. But yeah, understand. but, um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, and, and, and Philly, I got kinda, it. Yeah. yeah. Make, yeah. And make it, making some bucks, making websites for local Philly companies. So yeah, that was, that was my background. No, that's, that, that's cool. So how did that all get you ready for where you are, man? Tell me that. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, is, um, you know, like a lot, part of it was, was kind of, I always use the analogy of like being, uh, before you can own a McDonald's and be a franchise owner, you have to like work there and, and, and work at all the stations and everything else. That's right. And when I came yeah. to, to Weed Maps, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't start with the biggest you know, part of my formation, which is when I came to WeMaps, it was 65 people. And over the seven years I've been there, I've been interim, you know, CTO, chief marketing officer, you know, been out, uh, you know, building a lot of the early foundations of our, our now very large policy team and out kind of like, you know, uh, kind of selling my wares and fund state capitals like Tallahassee and, you know, mm -hmm. Harrisburg and wherever else. But um, no, I mean, look, I think what drew me to this is I really liked doing working with founders and doing advisory work when back before. Um, and then the other strange thing is I, it, I can say this now I'm far enough out and I don't think I'm ever going to go back to it, but working with life sciences and pharma companies was a great education and sort of over-regulation, really complex regulations. And I think that is now really and will good. always be a hallmark of cannabis, you know, dealing yeah. with opioid makers or people doing mm -hmm. this and, you know, the import-export restrictions for drugs from the EU to the U.S., frankly, were 
probably simpler than the, you know, what, what the differences in law look like between, say, Michigan and Massachusetts. But, um, you know, th- there was that aspect. But the other thing is, I think I learned a lot uh, from just seeing how really dysfunctional companies, this is the part I can say now, <laughs> truly, you know, a, a lot of a lot of companies that I worked with and, and helped structure deals for and help, you know, on, on organizational stuff. We're just dysfunctional companies. And sometimes I think if you're trying to figure out a better path forward, it's kind of good to see uh, people doing it wrong. Wrong. Yeah. Well, it's even better when you recognize it is wrong. Uh, (laughs) You know, that that is. Yeah. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, look, we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to, uh, when we come back, Chris, we're going to really dig into uh, weed maps and what that is and how you got there. I'm really yeah. interested in hearing that. And, and uh, the journey has been tremendous. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. And Plant Profits is brought to you by Produce Global. And I'm here today with Chris Bills. He's the CEO of Weed Maps. And we'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Vern Davis. Welcome back. Um, Welcome back to Plant Profits. Um, We're very pleased to bring to you today on Plant Profits, Chris Beals, who's the CEO of Weed Maps. um, Chris, so you've been at Weed Maps doing various things, as you were saying, for the last, what, uh, seven, eight years. And and you've been CEO for a while. So uh, let's, let's just talk about Weed maps, 65 people when you walked in the door eight years ago, seven years ago, and, and, and then where we are today, what does is, what is the company look like today? And what, what are you leading today? Yeah, I mean, well, <clears throat> now we're, we're 700 people, uh, okay. you know, in addition to kind of that, that broad marketplace, which is the biggest marketplace for cannabis out there, um, yeah. you know, we're, we're domestic and international. Uh, we're in every jurisdiction that's legal, but then we also have a, a suite of uh, SaaS and kind of power tools that go along with the marketplace, CRM, uh, Shopify type e-com embeds, uh, okay. delivery logistics, compliance solutions. But, you know, powering that is, I think we're very, you know, very much an engineering and data first company. So about mm-hmm. 45% of our headcount is engineering product and design folks who are working on making stuff. You know, we're a builder okay. company. Um, we've done, you know, some M&A over the last year and, ha- and we, we can get into that a bit. But yeah, no, it's, it's it, 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 you know, so one, we're just bigger from a scale view. But the other is, is I think we've, we've just grown up, matured. And I think we turned enough heads over the years in terms of the, the pace and the just speed and celerity of our growth um, that, you know, a lot of the folks who are, who are coming to us and, and who we draw on to build things are, you know, people coming from really impressive uh, backgrounds. So I feel really fortunate to work with, you know, people coming from, you know, all the Fang companies and coming right. from having been startup founders and coming from having had, you know, uh, design agencies and, and everything else. Um, and I'd say the other dimension of the growth too is, is, you know, we were always a, a Irvine, a California based company in our geographical footprint. We went to kind of a, a permanent uh, work from anywhere uh, type approach extremely early on in COVID, not just as a reaction to COVID, but with a view that like sort of um, we, we convened people with intentionality and brought them together for whiteboarding and intensive and rigorous sessions where they're putting all, all of their effort and energy into it. 
and then giving them flexibility to you know work remotely that we would get a lot more productivity happiness everything else but um did that other work that. i mean did that work because you know <clears throat> it, it's a good discussion because i, I love mm-hmm. to talk about the world of work now uh, wow. and, and 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 companies because COVID had an, an, an impact on wow. uh, the thought process of what the world of work is and 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 are you still operating that way or what adjustments have yeah. you made or what's happening now at Weed Maps? Yeah, well, one thing I should note is we philosophically have always been, and this surprises a lot of people because they want to say, okay. oh, it's just a weed tech company, but we're always a deeply philosophical company when it comes to like how we structure people and hiring and everything. So for instance, um, we generally mandate case studies for people who want to come to the company that are meaty and they're rigorous. But I think, you know, my view has been, and, and I was one of the, the early person, proponent of it, and now it's just part of our company DNA, that if you're not seeing someone's work product or you're not forcing them to think critically and then present it, a lot of the interview process is really just debate class. You know, you're not mm-hmm. actually getting into the, the meat of things. Um, but yeah, when it comes to work remote, look, here's the thing. A lot of companies, I have friends who, who run, you know, companies that are just doing it wrong. You can't, you can't just say, Hey, we're going to do work remote. So one, you have to think about like, like ritual and, and culture. And so for instance, when we have meetings, you have to be on time. You have to have your yeah. camera on, you know, like it, it's not like, I think these companies letting people dial in from anywhere and you hear background noise, like everyone is sitting when we have meetings internally, even though we're remote, everyone is sitting at a desk with their camera on and having engagement. And we're also heavy users of virtual whiteboarding, okay. in meeting polling, stuff like that. And so there's, you know, look, if you let people sort of work remotely and then say, you know what, do whatever you want, you're gonna, that's going to be chaos. It's in the same way that you wouldn't let that happen. Have office. you seen that in other companies? I mean, with your friends, you guys talk yeah. talk about how you do it. I, I, it was very interesting. Yeah. You have you have structure to this, real structure to this. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure it's the effect is, or the desired effect is efficiencies and productivity. Out of, it, it's efficiency, productivity. Look, we have ways of seeing... <laughs> things that we don't talk about too much, but we have ways yeah. of knowing when people are logged in and how long they're there. And we know yeah. that we're getting net gains from people turning commuting time into working time when they're there. But yeah, yes. look, I have, you know, folks at other companies, if you're not having your camera on or you're not, you know, having mandates around timing of meetings and timeliness and sort of um, engagement pre-preparation, like attaching agendas into meeting invites, and yeah, yes. I, have, I know people where there's a bunch of chaos and those are the companies that are one saying, well, you know, maybe work remote isn't isn't working. You know, I, I think the other thing is, is we hired someone and invested, yeah. invested into culture. You know, statistically, mm-hmm. people at work who say they have at least one friend uh, report higher job satisfaction, lower attrition, there's lower attrition rates, that sort of thing. And so one of the mm-hmm. challenges in a work remote environment is how do you foment uh, culture and frankly friendship among people to to sort of ensure that they're mentally happy, healthy, and and productive. And so, you know, we put an emphasis into, you know, we we saw early on that groups that were, you know, having happy hours and and team trivia and this had someone who was sort of a a, a troop leader who was organizing that. And and we said, man, you know, the we can't have the difference in team success be whether we have someone who just bleeds teal, as we use the term for weed mappers, teal sort of our logo color. 
okay. in, the, in the squad. And so we need to have more formalized programs. And so we have uh, virtual happy hours multiple times. You know, we have uh, one of our employees happens to also be a DJ in their spare time. So he DJs that. Our, our demos for uh, engineering product and design stand up at the end of sprints are DJed with him emceeing and that sort of thing. <laughs> That's great. You know, we, yeah, yeah. We, we have to do this because so th- there is a lot of ad hoc um communication at work that's really valuable. And so things like sort of uh, assigning folks to, to paired men, um, sort of partners or mentees or using some of the tools that let people have kind of shared drop-ins, brown bag lunches virtually, stuff like that. Um, but then the other thing is, I, look, I think there are some areas where work remote can be tough. And I think if we weren't really tight uh, and, and re- your revenue orgs are one of those, and we were fortunate in that we use we used a full VoIP system. We have full metrics. We have setups for sort of uh, artificial intelligence that monitors sort of call behaviors and clients being angry on phone calls and that sort of thing. And, okay. a, you know, a, a lot of, I think, sales and revenue teams have a very tribal culture. And that is one area where I think there is a good argument for you, you really got to be careful and make sure that sort of, you know, people are leaned in and plugged in and you get that kind of like, I made a big sale and people are high-fiving and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and then the, the last thing is, is, is that even though people are remote, that you have times where you convene everyone and people know that, that they're going to need to come into the office periodically yeah. for sort of sprints for onsites for uh, planning meetings for stuff like that. And, and mm-hmm. we try and really build happy hours and things around them. Uh, that is one of the best illustrations um, to me, what you just laid out about the world of work over at Weed Maps that I've heard. I mean, you, I, I, I do believe if, you know, if you, um, if you don't do it properly, you, you impact your culture of success and how you do things. And, um, and if you're getting more productivity in, in this way, I think that's awesome. You're doing it this way. I, I, I love the, the parameters you put around it. It's not, it, it's it's not uh, overly burdensome to to execute it the way you're doing it. I, I, I tell you, do you talk about this, uh, you know, when you go to like at South by Southwest or, or you talk about it with folks? Because I, I really like what you just said, Chris. You know, actually, this is the first time I've really talked about it publicly. Mm-hmm. Not because, you know, I'm incredibly proud of um, Mira, who's our head of people, and the work that okay. she's been doing there and folks like that. But it, it's one of those things where a lot of the conversation around remote culture, but also just team building, uh, uh, training, uh, you know, career laddering type stuff in a remote world yeah. ends up happening in um, – like kind of in hush conversations, I'll talk to other CEOs or other business leaders and, and, and we're sharing notes, but a lot of the public dialogue, I think, frankly, is, I think two-dimensional would, would be doing, would be a generous compliment because you see, you know, like the Goldman Sachs CEO or Jamie Dimon mm-hmm. or whoever, uh, you know, saying, well, you know, we need to have people in or people making these very binary delineations about work remote and that culture. And that's sort of like saying like, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to go out on a road trip in a car. Well, what, what type of car? Well, car, you know, it's all the same. Well, how many seats is it? Is it gas? Yeah. Is it electric? You know, that. And I, and I think that, look, the companies, if I will say this, if you're going to make that jump to remote, if your I, if your information security, your InfoSec, your IT, your infrastructure teams are not 
pristine, you're going to run into problems. If you're trying to on-prem host your video conferencing, I know a large, I have a friend who's senior at a large life sciences company. It's a disaster. Like the, the video conferencing system's always down. Um, and then you need, you know, you need tools of metric and measurement and teams that traditionally have metrics and measurement. Your, um, your customer success teams, your revenue mm-hmm. teams, you need to have um, you know, ritual and cadence around your engineering teams and look at how they're performing in sprints and on their delivery cycles. Um, but yeah, I think it's, um, it's one of those things where I think it can be a massive net positive, but you have to put as much effort into it as you would put into sort of curating and managing a physical workspace. Yeah. And I think that that is it. And that's the best way to end this part of our conversation, because that is exactly it, is you have to put energy and thought careful thought around how you do it because it can be done and you're yeah. proving it at weed maps. And, and um, we're going to get into the performance uh, that uh, you guys reported uh, almost exactly a month ago today uh, yeah. for the end of, end of the fourth quarter and total year performance and uh, really get into um, this fact and why, why you did it the way you did it. I, I'm really mm-hmm. interested in hearing about that. Okay. This is Vern Davis. And this is Plant Profits, and I'm your host. Plant Profits is brought to you by Produce Global. And my guest today is Chris Beals. He is the CEO of Weed Maps. We'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Plant Profits. And I'm your host, Vern Davis. My guest today is Chris Beals. He is the CEO of Weed Maps. And uh, hey, the last eight months have been uh, just a really, I'm sure, a cool and challenging and fun and rewarding time for Chris and the organization and the team at Weed Maps. And, um, you know, back in June of last year, you did this back thing. So why did you go public that way versus a more maybe what we would back then call a more conventional way of doing this? Yeah, we looked at both. And I think being a non-plant touching sort of, yeah. you know, hyper growth tech company, we had both options open to us, which is yes, unusual because, you know, a lot of touch the plant companies don't have all those options open. Um, look, I think look there. I think there are times where SPACs are a bad idea. Uh, one of them is taking bad, not public ready companies out onto a public market. That's a bad use of SPACs. I think there are two cases where SPACs make a ton of sense and we fall in one of those. So one is, is if you're trying to sort of sequentially do M&A and part of the reason going public is to finance another acquisition, two-stepping it is is tricky and dangerous. So DraftKings acquired basically their largest tech backbone provider at the same time that they did the SPAC and the SPAC Mm -hmm. enabled them to sort of, it it was a roll up as much as a SPAC deal. And the other reason is if you're in a highly regulated space or you're in a space where it's extremely complex, the kind of um, bam, bam, bam roadshow uh, mm-hmm. process of an IPO doesn't lend itself if you're going to need to educate consumers on the area. It's why you have seen a lot of success and a lot of SPACs and things like sort of um, defense industry, uh, things like that. And in our case, when we went out and did test the waters meetings and talked to folks, they said, wow, this is a this is a marquee tier one story. I don't know anything about cannabis. And we'd get we'd spend most of the you know hour long allotment of time talking about, well, why, you know, why won't Walmart sell cannabis or can they sell it now? Or, you know, um, you know, yeah. I, my daughter, my daughter's in the neighboring state. Like, why can't I just get drive it across in the yeah. mail in the mail yeah. from there? And it was like, 
Okay. You know, and, and sort of it's like, well, you know, why do you need delivery and logistics software if you don't understand that, you know, most states require real-time GPS tracking of drivers, reporting to this thing called a state track and trace system. And so we'd walk out of these meetings and we said, man, if we don't have a couple hours with folks, they're just not going to, they're not going to understand the base industry enough. And so that was a big reason. And so when we went, we were massively oversubscribed on sort of the, the, the pipe, the investment vehicle that went with the stack because there was a ton of interest, but that was the process of spending several months and usually several hours with these big kind of large traditional tech investment groups who just had, they knew tech back, back to front, but they didn't understand the cannabis sector. And I was really proud that a lot of the folks coming into our story, this was their first cannabis investment you know, but that's great. Yeah. their thousands of technology investment. Um, and so that was really why we chose the SPAC route. Um, and, you know, and I think despite sort of the bumpiness we've seen in the trading since then, you know, look, uh, the, you know, we're in the midst of World War Three. I don't think we're alone in, in that. But, yeah, that was right. the reason for going in the SPAC route. Yeah. No, well, that 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 is great. So, look, so the holding company, right, uh, uh, and uh, you know that that you guys uh, put together here, and, and so structurally, you you lead you lead both entities. Yeah. So what what effectively happened is is yeah. the SPAC, and this is one of the funny things about sort of SPACs, like kind of trading in in correlation mm-hmm. or in sympathy with each other. It doesn't make any sense because at, at, after the transaction closes, there is no SPAC. You know, we have a right. board of directors. It is a it, it, the one SPAC person, it, it happens to be on that, but he also happens to be a founder of Papa and Barkley, a long tail sort yeah. of cannabis I person who makes sense to have on, yeah, on the board. Yeah, this uh, yeah, guy, great, great person. And then we have a board of predominantly independent directors, the two co-founders. Um, but there is no sort of SPAC vehicle anymore. It's just WM Technology, no, the parent just... company of Weed Maps and the WM Business Entities and, and that sort Got of it. thing. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So... Uh, Tell me your reaction to the performance. You know, it's funny. It's just a fundamental dislocation. I mean, you look at the fact that we're a 14-year profitable company. We've always sort of maintained profitability. We've been bootstrapped this entire time. And um, and then you look at the fact that we've averaged about, you know, generally a high 30% annualized growth rate over the last five years. Uh, there's not too yeah. many companies that when you down filter to that, meet those criteria, but then also right. are servicing the cannabis sector where, you know, it's 25 billion. It was estimated to be 24, 25 billion last year, moving to 50 billion within the next few years. Yeah. That's massive in market growth, but there's also the fact that we process billions of dollars or sorry. Billions of dollars in cannabis transactions flow through that marketplace, but we, because of federal legality, we can't put payment rails in there. We can't charge take rates, take percentages of transactions, do a whole host of other things that sit on the other side of, you know, federal legalization. So you have these, this company that from a baseline sort of just numbers viewpoint is performing incredibly well. And then you have these massive catalyst events mm-hmm. on the go forward. Um, and so I think it's been a little, I've been, make no two bones about it. I've been disappointed in how the stock is traded, um, you know, but we just wrapped up beating our, our guidance in Q4, you did. 54 yeah. million in Q4 revenue, which, which was 2 million over the high end of, of, of guidance and about 3 million over consensus. But also more than that, we shut off Canadian revenue in the end of 2021, or sorry, 2020. 
And so the year-over-year comparison was a little bit wonky because you were looking at numbers with Canada versus last year numbers without Canada. Um, and then separately, you know, we've continued that, that pattern of sort of profitability. And the other thing that was really, um, I, I think, just amazing is, look, the cannabis in markets have been choppy, have been turbulent. You've seen a bunch of um, markets go into disruption and have sequential declines in sort of cannabis yeah. sales within the marketplace. It was just continuously up and to the right in terms of new users, active sessions, transactions, and sort of people, if you think of this as sort of an Amazon for cannabis, just as many people were coming and, and in that marketplace as there were despite the disruption. So you saw this widening gap between sort of our performance and how actual cannabis in markets perform, which is exactly what you want to see with a, a scaled technology and marketplace platform. Oh, yeah. I tell you what, fourth quarter last year, I heard a lot of... A lot of moaning and groaning mm-hmm. about the business, right? And yeah. and uh, your performance is, to your point, when you start to measure, you know, the people entering your marketplace and, and start looking at what your business is doing, it's, it's awesome. So why isn't the stock performing the way you thought it would or should? Uh, I think a couple things. I think one thing is, is just you know, we don't have a full year of results. And so I think there's okay. just a bit of a, a seasoning and that sort of thing. I think the other thing okay. is, is it's a bit misunderstood. We still hear people saying, yeah. isn't this like a, a Yelp for cannabis, you know, something. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's sort of like an Amazon meets Shopify for cannabis. Orient yourself in that view and then look at the revenue multiples that those companies garner and, and that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, I think year to date, we've performed incredibly well versus tech and marketplace companies. I think we're actually outperforming you know, Amazon definitely outperforming Shopify, folks like that. So mm-hmm. I think people are waking up to the story. But I would say part of it also is is there's still some a, a fair amount of uh, institutional investment groups out there that are kind of tentatively just dipping their toe in cannabis and are are now uh, going to get more comfortable with it. I think especially as we see these East Coast markets not just open but open massively over the next year to year and a half with New York, New Jersey. Um, you know, people forget, but a lot of East Coast investor groups don't really understand cannabis because it's not really legal in their state. You know, New York and New Jersey don't have true cannabis legalization right now. It's amazing. You still have those conversations about how can this be done? How can you be guys be selling this stuff? And, you know, it, it, it's, it, it is it is truly Truly amazing. So let's talk about what are the things you're doing? So you've, you've done some partnerships with athletes like the Kevin Durant thing. You've, yeah. you, you know, you, you bought sprouts, you did, you did a lot of things. So, so yeah. what is going to affect in a positive way moving forward? How are you going to push the button, the needle, right? Yeah. Uh, that's going to, going to impact this thing in a very positive way. What, what's ahead for us here? Well, so, I mean, one, we're, we're guiding for the full year to, mm-hmm. um, you know, mid 30% top line growth and, you know, in our, you know, our and continued profitability. So just right there, um, you know, I think just pointing to sort of, I, I think a really remarkable and outstanding growth profile absent sort of any broader events, but then separately, we're investing heavily in a couple of really interesting areas. So uh, one data, data analytics. Mm-hmm. The biggest, uh, we have over, we have the largest treasure trove of first-party transactional and consumer data out there, 14 years worth to be precise. And wow. um, we don't do anything to monetize that. And we're just okay. starting to do initial things. And we made a lot of uh, sort of investments and continue to make investments to sort of bring that data lake together. And then we can start to serve it out in 
um, non-monetized ways with sort of coaching and performance tips that help businesses better position themselves and grab consumers within the marketplace or make them more efficient users of, say, something like the CRM or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then turning it into actual subscriptions. Consistently, when we went and were interviewing brands and specking out uh, products on the go for, we asked brands, well, you know, how do you know how your products are selling? Or how do your reps know when your products go out of stock at a retailer? And, and a long series of questions. The answer to all of them almost was we don't or we guess mm-hmm. or we have mm-hmm. imperfect solutions. So, you know, incredible need for, for data solutions. And that's something that we're going to be uh, attacking. The East Coast. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the tri-state areas, it really opens up. I think we'll, we'll rival or exceed California in terms of market size. There's going to be far more local jurisdictions opted in. People forget only about mm-hmm. 20 to 25% of cities and counties in California actually allow... Huh cannabis and correspondingly the legal market only captures about 25 percent of consumer demand for cannabis in california so california although a big market a teeny market in terms of how it's performing in terms of grabbing total market share mm-hmm. um and so i think we'll see you know and so we're investing heavily in the east coast and sort of uh, really being front of mind and present there and building great relationships we have you know an east coast based team and that sort of thing um, you know, another big area is investing in brands. You know, I mentioned brands as part of that data example. Um, right now, brands accounts for sub 10% of our revenue, but brands is one of the fastest growing segment. We're in the first inning of just this explosion in um, brands needing to build affinity and voice and, and yes. consumer audience. But more than that, I think one of the big conundrums in the cannabis space is as a brand, people nobody's really building brands. Uh, in cannabis, they're building maybe packaging recall or packaging recognition, but then I'm telling you, it has been my, my, uh, <clears throat> my, my whole voice that everything I've been talking about for two years, man, is that brand doesn't exist in this space. Now I come from consumer products and I know what brand is and I know what brand means to consumer. And I am telling you, it does not exist in, in this space yet. And uh, there's a lot of, and excuse me, everyone, but there's a lot of failed CMOs out there that uh, it's different. And uh, it's a new industry. First of all, it's unfair. The timetable's unfair. It's unfair. Yeah, yeah, yes and no. I I think part of it is, is look, we we deal with a lot of these. Look, I'll I'll give you an example. In our marketplace, we drive on average, and in some places it's way higher, we drive an eight to 10X ROAS. So you're in the marketplace, yeah. you can get transactions, you can do whatever. So that's ROAS's right. return on ad spend. People in most industries would, would throw themselves out of buildings to get to the place <laughs> where they could grab ROAS like that yeah. uh, because it's that insane. I mean, it's putting one buck in one side and getting roughly eight to $10 out the other side. Like that is sort of the modern day marketing equivalent of a money trade. Um, and we still have a lot of trouble with, with uh, cannabis businesses under, well, what's ROAS mean? Or I see you showing me these numbers, but, you know, it's confusing yeah. to me. And, and so I think, yeah, look, that's the sophistication growing up thing. I think we're still seeing, and look, I'll just say, say the onset, we're still seeing a lot of people coming in from packaged goods and other sectors and thinking they're going to apply like the Procter & Gamble playbook to cannabis. And, and, yeah, yeah and, and it, it doesn't work. It doesn't yeah, work it, because it, it, because the, the 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 lady or man who runs Crest Toothpaste, mm-hmm. right, is 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 basically sitting on an egg that's hatched. 
And well, yeah, a lot of the foundational know, work was done during the, the Mad Men days, where, where it's sort of like, yeah. I associate this with wholesomeness or healthiness or happy right. family or whatever. And I think the problem with cannabis is you might have a product that you think is medicinally really effective and it's sun grown and it's from the earth, but nobody knows. No, nobody knows to associate your name with that. And, and so one of the things we're attacking is actually increased channels through our CRM, through um, the ability of brands to manage catalog on, on weed maps and then have that syndicate to the, you know, over a thousand retailer websites we help power their, their websites, but then also within that marketplace where they can have uniform presentation of their brand, their brand SKUs and sort of start pen, appending things like ascribed clinical effect, consumer reviews, that those are the foundational elements of how you build some connection between packaging recall and I associate this brand with these characteristics and that. Well, well, look, I think there's something that's right. There's a big elephant in the room and Mm -hmm. that is, and this is an opinion is, is that in the black market, there's brand recall. Mm -hmm. There's branding in that marketplace. And, and, and what can you learn from how it's been done for 2000 years um, and, and utilize that in today's environment to create brand because <clears throat> there's something to be learned there. And, oh, yeah. pe- and oh, people yeah. are not taking it seriously from that perspective. They're taking branding serious, but they're failing. And there's, it, you have to do it differently. That's for sure. That's been proven because of failure. So there's, there's something to be learned about how it's been done 2,000 years before now. Well, well, there's something also I'd say, look, I, I feel very blessed and fortunate. It doesn't sound like a long time, but in cannabis years, yeah. I'm like a senior citizen. And I feel very yes, blessed you are. <laughs> that I came in pre-Prop 64 in the early days yeah. because the way I you know, earned my turns was I got thrown in a sprinter van with a bunch of sales guys and we road trip for a week. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. And I've been to industry events and secret sessions and everything else everywhere. And, and, and I've toward more grows than I can count. And I, and I, cause I think it's even for being a tech provider, you have to understand where the, how the product is made, where it comes from, who the people are, who make it. And I think, you know, there's, there's some things that are, that, you know, getting on the point of brand, I think there's more, there's better prior art, not that long ago that people have, have scorned. Like, look, table days might be expensive and might seem archaic, but having table days for your brand at dispensary is a good way to reach people. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of like a grower, it used to be the master grower, someone who had the genetics or things like that was present. You saw them, you knew who they were. And now it's just sort of faceless. And, you know, and it's somebody in a in a place somewhere growing some well, get that person out. What is their they, mm-hmm. they presumably have pride in their craft and what they're doing? Um, you know, it used to be concentrate folks always were flexing on each other with like how they were making their ice hash or live rosin or you know, these other things. And, and now it's just like, well, here's a jar with a label on it. And, and I think that, that, and I think it's why you see some of these more legacy brands. Cookies is a good example. They're coming yeah. into some of these East coast States and they're just wrecking people. It, it's, you can, other people can do it, but you have to come correct and you have to come with authenticity and you have to be Absolutely. willing to talk about how your product is made. And that's the word authenticity is going to help create these brands and you got to find it. And I have this, I, I have built this profile of the proper C, CMO for cannabis. I, yeah. I've built it and, and, and because I've seen what doesn't work, I, I, I know what has worked 
and um, you have to have someone uh, think really differently in marketing and branding and cannabis. Yeah, you got it. Look, it's the one thing we look for very heavily when we hire across roles is you have yeah. to look for people who are very willing to break down. We have a saying that we use in WeMaps, like kill sacred cows. Uh, which yes. is willing to throw out the stuff that it's because, well, just because we always did it. Like the key exactly. of a product leader, anything is this set, like we have people who came over from Amazon on the product and in and, and various parts of the org. But, you know, they just sort of thought, well, this is how Amazon did it. And the thing I love about the folks we have is they'll go, well, this is how Amazon did it five years ago. And mm -hmm. that obviously wouldn't work here. And this is what worked there. And this is what failed. And, and there's a conversation about what worked and didn't work. And it's the, very much the same thing with marketing. Um, you you got to be willing to do stuff that that is net new. I mean, we did um, a campaign a couple of years ago. It's called Weed Facts. And it was basically just what seemed like very shocking things, but they were pulled from peer-reviewed journals. So like states that have legalized cannabis have a 25% reduction in opioid deaths. New England Journal of Medicine study in fine print. And we just put weed maps in the corner. Because what we were driving for was fomenting conversations and the secondary impressions. Like billboards for a tech company aren't super great. Like not a lot of people on the highway are like, hey, let me download an app now. <laughs> or let me move to like a cl this cloud solution or something. But what it did was, you know, we had like the, you know, articles in the Boston Globe where, neighbor, where neighborhoods were absolutely losing their marbles that these billboards were going up and talking about, well, who is this company, Weed Maps, that's putting these things up? And it was the fact that haters were coming out and saying, well, this just isn't true. Well, guess what? We had a, a whole landing campaign site, <laughs> citations, <laughs> and you can click the article. It is true. You know, we didn't put anything kind of halfway. And, and I think that was a good example where, it was a cannabis specific campaign and it was focused on generating conversation first that would then include the brand versus trying to lead with the brand and just expect that to generate conversation. Man, I tell you what, Chris, we could have this conversation for days. I love this conversation. You bring some really cool and unique insights when it comes to the world of work in this space and when it comes to marketing and branding. And I really, really appreciate that very, very much. And, and guess what? Weed Maps is gonna win because of that. And, um, and I know that to be the case. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of you showing up today. And Thanks I wanna thank, absolutely, sir. And you can come back anytime, anytime, and we can continue this conversation. Um, I want to thank everyone for showing up today on Plant Profits and 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 listening to our show. My guest today, uh, Mr. Chris Beals, his CEO, Weed Maps, WM Technologies. That's what he does, and he does. He's doing a great job, and I know the the market will catch up. The stock will rise. The market will catch up, Chris. Take my word I, for I, it. I know it will. I, I, I know it will. All, you know, good management teams put their heads down and deliver and just focus on long-term value. And, you know, that's what we're doing. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to thank all of you for joining us. And you can download over, man, I've, we've done well over 100 episodes of Plant Profits. And you can get that by going to CannabisRadio.com and, and, and go subscribe now. Just stop what you're doing and go now and subscribe and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast fix. You can find uh, Plant Profits, and I, I'm looking forward. And, and look for this show. 
that we had today with Chris Bills of uh, Weed Maps, CEO of Weed Maps. And you can also follow Protus Global. Protus Global, we're in the talent business. The world of work is extremely important to us and what we do. And you can see us in social networking platforms, all of them, LinkedIn, Insta, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you go to social media, you can find Protus Global. And you can really get a sense of, of what we do, how we build companies, how we change people's lives. And that's ProtusGlobal.com. That's P-R-O-T-I-S global.com. Also want to make sure you go to uh, NASDAQ and, and go to maps and um, take a look at, at weed maps and what they've done and, and where they're going and invest. It's a great place to invest your dollars into the industry and enjoy that. And I'm Vern Davis again. I'm your host of Plant Profits and the next time, cheers. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.